and I appreciate Ned's teaching last week, uh, and um, and he said he got through chapter two. But I want to reiterate something here that I think is a pitfall to so many believers, uh, and it's something that. We, as a congregation, over the years of me being pastor here, we are acutely aware of because we came um, we came out of aesthetic uh, or ascetic. How, how am I pronounce it? A s c e t i c. Ascetic practices, and I'm, and I'm going to read that. You can um, um, miss. The fullness of Christianity, of what God has for us, by focusing on the wrong thing, right? When we get focused away from Jesus, we end up being drawn away from him, even with a religious spirit. You ever meet anybody with a religious spirit that's not focused on Christ? And um, so let me read this to you, and then I'll try to, we'll dissect it together give you time for questions um, uh, or interject uh, a thought here. It says, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, let me just ask a question. How did you die? How do we die with the Messiah? It's the new birth. Again, I, I'm, I cannot understate the, the value and the priority, value is not even the word, the priority of experiencing the new birth for yourself. When we die with Christ, we're buried with him, right? It's water baptism. It's being filled with his spirit. So it's it just when you're talking about those kind of truths in the scripture, it's over and over again reiterated. And uh, as an as an assembly, although we are... Um, you know, reaching out or being part of and not being spiritually superior to others who do not understand that, don't let that slip in your own life. I, I, I told a man one time who, who he'd, he'd gone to another assembly that wasn't preaching the new birth. And I said, I said, man, brother, I said, I'm not worried about you. You know it. God's already, you've got it. God doesn't come and take away what he's given you. I said, I'm worried about your your grandchildren. This is a generational thing. What you value, they'll value. What you uh, 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 say is important. So I, I'm going to tell you that that's, please don't let that slip. So let me just, if you die with the Messiah into the elemental forces of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations do not handle, don't taste, uh, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is uh, destroyed by by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although they have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Now, that may have gone right over your head, but let me try to tell you how important 
this is. And uh, first of all, to to uh, define what is an ascetic practice. What does ascetic mean or asceticism? And here it is. It's characterized by or suggesting the practice of severe self-discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Okay, aesthetic practices. Listen to this. The definition characterized by or suggesting the practices of severe self-discipline, of abstention from all forms of indulgences. Indulgence. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever try to live that life? Come on. That we we preach that 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 the more severe you treated your body, or you know, the more. Uh, holy you lived, if I could put that in there, you know, and it was anything that would indulge at all, that became the focus of our religious pursuit. And, um, but here's what, here's what I saw in my years and in, in coming out of that was that the reality, though, uh, it had a reputation of wisdom promoting Aesthetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any, everybody say any, any value. Zero. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Okay? Um, you you got to ask yourself why, what what is the, you know, how does that work? I'm not. Um, trying to put down anybody's personal conviction about anything. We have a right and not only a right and a responsibility to live for God, right? Uh, and to, and to be obedient to Him. But the re, the, the fact of the matter is, is when we lift something else up above Him, uh, he no longer becomes the focus, and I'm here to tell you what happens is your flesh has an incredible way of deceiving you, and the spirit around, the spiritual world around us has an incredible way of coming alongside and making you feel very spiritual and not having your focus on Christ. Okay, the hope that we have is having our hearts and minds and and and, and uh, focused on one thing, and that's Jesus. All right, and if we have that, then everything else absolutely falls into order. And I didn't find the quote, but uh, Jeannie uh, in the Ambleside School that Charlotte Mason was an incredible educator. And she's talking about teaching children morality and, and literally not focusing on the moral uh uh, absolute or the idea, but letting it become part of the scenery. It, it's not that you don't, you, you minimalize it, but if you focus on not committing adultery, you know what's going to happen? It's on you, it's in your head. If you focus on not stealing, if you focus on, I'm going to, you know, the idea of, of uh, I'm going to dress modestly, I'm going to focus, focus, focus. Well, it ought to be just part of the scenery as you focus on Christ. 
And, and what happens and what I've understood, what I, what I lived and what I saw, uh, in, in my relationships with others that promoted these aesthetic practices that, that it did not at all in any way curb self-indulgence. It just didn't do it. I watched it. They would in, feel justified in their spirituality in one area, but in another area they would be totally out of control. But they felt justified because they had this area better than anybody else. How dangerous is that? Do you want, do you get, understand what I'm saying here? The real well then, self indulgence doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean if I don't have to focus on any of this self denial, you do. Yeah, it becomes a part of your life. You don't have to focus on it. It becomes a part of who you are. Because you're focused on Christ. What happens when we have this worldly reputation of wisdom and severe treatment of the body? What happened? What I experienced is somebody would be doing it more severe than I was. And they'd be holier than me. Yes or no? They're, they're more spiritual. In their own mind. Right? And so there was this, you know, real, just spiritually confusing thing. In the midst of it all, thank God. You know something? God's grace is there for us. In, in the midst of our pursuit. It's not, it's not, I'm not trying to even now say we're so much better than somebody else. Who still lives that. Thank God in the midst of uh, all of that. We were as saved as we are today. Why? Because His grace is sufficient. And what I'm blind to now. I'm saved. And when He reveals it a few years from now. And says oh my goodness. How could I have done all of that. And thought I was right. You know what? God leads us into guides us into all truth. Our pursuit that day for me. I wanted to know Him. That was all. I wasn't trying to do, you know, and I watched uh, the, the other things, and I watched um, uh, people who it didn't curb any self-indulgence whatsoever, and I thought, God, something's wrong. I recall one time with, with, a, with a, a minister that had come here years and years ago, and uh, he was... Um, obesely overweight. Okay. No criticism. I struggle with my weight continually. There is no criticism to anybody. All right. I'm just using this as, a, as an example. Um, and so he, we sat down to eat, and I'm telling you what, that guy could eat. One of these places, all you can eat for $9.99, he'd put them out of business. In fact, he told me one time, he said, we, we went in this one place and the guy asked us if we left now, we wouldn't have to pay. <laughs> but we're, we're sitting down and he's eating and eating and eating. He said, well, and he's talking about eating at the five greatest restaurants in the world, which I didn't know there were five greatest restaurants. And he's telling about how the, he's talking food like it's this love affair, right? It was almost. Like get a room. Uh, it was it was embarrassing, 
And, and he said, well, he said, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chase wild women. I might better eat. And I'm like, oh, my mouth, my chin, I'm going to hold it up. I'm like, did you really just say that? Because if you're talking about uh, self-indulgence in all these other areas, but yet you feel justified in this area, now, you know, and that you're better than somebody else that's that's out of control here, but you're out of control, obviously out of control here, but yet you feel justified. Why? Because I have these ascetic practices. Do, do you, am I? Listen, God's grace covers us. I'm just making a point here. There are those of uh, around us or those of us at one point would declare how holy we were and really and did not curb one didn't have the ability to stop one uh, iotum of self-indulgence in our life would be so out of control in one area but because if i had this you know something when you're focused right there's a balance in your life and that's really what this is talking about the whole idea, it's not its not putting down, and we're going to read it in the next scripture, but I'm going to give you a moment to question or comment. This is for a really small person. Okay. I hope this... I'm praying that this comes out the way God's speaking it to me. Um, so this is the thing, is that we can sit and say, I don't know how I came up with that. But, um, we can sit and say that, that, that we don't practice asceticism anymore, that we're all through with that. But the truth of the matter is, you can be free from the rules, the regulations, and still practice that. Because it's a kind of superstition, if you think about it. If I do this then God will do that. It's superstition. And so we have that somewhere in our lives, whether you're walking free from the rules and regulations. You can even say, because I'm so loving and accepting of everybody and everything, then I'm free from that and and make that the thing that you're doing. Because that's... You're, you're, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's what you've put there. And at the end of it, what it all is about, and this is what I, I this, this I think almost has to come from real revelation to really get this, because we are so needing to be in control of everything. And I think that it's not altogether a bad thing because God wants us to master certain things, you know, He wants us to have a measure of responsibility and stewardship in our lives, but that is so different than control. And I think that when we walk in in places of asceticism like that, that's what we're doing. We're saying, if I do this, I can stay in control of my relationship with God. And And I can feel good about what I'm doing. And so what we don't do is we don't take the time to go really sit with him for any length of time and really let his word really lead us and guide us. 
And so I just keep coming back to that same thing, that I am not in control. I can only be in obedience. And there's no way that we can really step outside of the things that Paul's writing about here and give that complete trust to God unless we're really in obedience to him. And how can we be in obedience to him if we don't start, first of all, by just getting to know him and finding out what he might say? So maybe at one point he might say, yeah, today would be a good thing, maybe not for you to, you know, let's just go ahead and miss a couple meals today. But we don't need to make that something that we do every single week that maybe he wants out of that day. But if we're not really seeking him, we're not going to know that. And so I guess that's the burden that I have about all this. Don't don't think that we've escaped it because you haven't. You really haven't. I haven't. Because we've got that thing inside of us that says, I still have to be in control somehow to know that I'm pleasing to God, even in my own strength. And I'm telling you folks, the time that we are living in right now is so <laughs> important for us to to get away from that because there's so much more he's wanting us to do. And, and we need to pray we have ears to hear and eyes to see. And that it could even, I don't know if you pray, like, I don't know if it'd be like a mantra or whatever that you might say to yourself. But really, every day to have that prayer, I am not in control, but I am in obedience. And so I just, I just ask you to say that one more time. I am not in control. I am in obedience. And that is the only way we're going to get away from that whole need to be in control through asceticism. Does that make sense? Just put it right back on. The whole idea of self-indulgence, clip it, uh, is about being in control, right? And so um, it's it's a part of... (laughs) what we battle with continually. And so let me read, um, after all of that, it gives the, uh, somebody who's carnally looking at this, but say, well, doesn't matter. You know, somebody who's abstaining from different things doesn't, you know, they're no, they're carnal. They're not, you know, they're, you gotta, you gotta know the rest of the story here. Uh, and I'm reading from Colossians chapter three. Now, uh, what I just read was the end of chapter 2. In the letter to the church, there was not a chapter and verse. It was a flow of a thought, right? So we're, begin- we're, we're staying with the same thought. I'm going to read uh, 1 through 4 right here. It says, so if you, okay, let me, let me, let me do it just like it's coming, coming. It says, although they have reputation of wisdom by promoting aesthetic practices, humility, severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing the indulgence of the flesh. So if there ha- uh, have been, uh, or so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is in, on the earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God, when the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you will also, uh, will be revealed with him in glory. Okay? When the Messiah who is your life, if you've died with him, right? You died yourself. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. 
right? <laughs> he said, I live, yet not I, but who? Christ lives in me. So let me ask you this. Is Christ carnal? Is Christ a drunkard? Is he a liar? Is he immoral? Is he vain? Is he proud? Is he fearful? Is he timid? Who is this who's become your life? It's And the the reality of it is, the problem of it is, is our flesh is so deceptive to us. And in, in, when we ate of the tree, in the beginning I say we, because our great, 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 however many grandfathers ago did that, right? It was the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. We would become like God. There was some truth to that. We would know good and evil. And the capacity of our flesh and our human goodness to mask God's righteousness. We never reach it, but we can mask it. We can, we can, it can be a counterfeit. Right? And, and so the idea uh, of, of if you, when you focus on anything other than Christ, the Messiah, he becomes, he becomes what I'm walking towards. All of these other issues in my life are as a, a result of a relationship with him. My ability to love you isn't because I'm such a good guy. If, if I'm going to love as Christ love, it's going to be because my life, I, I've been crucified. Right? I have died with him. And the life that I now live, I live to his glory. If that's in us. Otherwise, I would love you and not you. Right? I would, you know, well, him and I have similar things going on, but I got nothing similar to Janelle. So, without, you know what? Forget about her. Not true, but I'm just saying we could point at that. Isn't that the way the world does it? But look at us. Look at who we are. I mean, is the variety of people that are around us. And, and, and the different walks of life and, and only because we're in where there is no ethnic diversity, right? In upstate New York. But if there was, you know, if we're in a city somewhere where the body of Christ thrives from every tongue, every nation, every culture, you could find somebody that we have just work together. Why? Because uh, uh, you know, well, we, we hunt and fish together. No, uh, well, we, you know, we like dogs. No, well, we, you know, we have all these similar things that draw humanity together, and they can find a good place to fellowship. Not in the body of Christ. We are together because He is our head. Because you look toward Him, and I look toward Him, and because we both look toward Him, we're on the same path. But if your focus of religious Service is doing and not doing. That does nothing but bring confusion. And it pits one person against another or one church against another. The great thing about focusing on Him and uh, setting our affections on Him, it eliminates my need to judge 
anybody. As far as eternal judgment, you make assessments constantly. All right? But as far as judge or any other church, what happened to the church down the road? They're not preaching the truth. You ever say that? Okay. How do you know they're not following the Messiah? And that God has yet to reveal what he may reveal. Right? Come on, did we live in all the truth ten years ago? No. Why? Because the truth is Christ. And could you possibly know all there is to know about him right now? Do you now live in it? No, but I'm pursuing that. That that he becomes my focus, not some doctrinal, you know, tributary or tangent that man, I'm gonna plant the flag there. I and I'm, I'm, my focus is him. So God, where does that lead? Does it lead to the church growing or shrinking? I don't know if I'm following him. Whether we abase or abound, really, if it's think about it, you know, the idea of, of church growth being the focus of of the assembly. Well, obviously. Be nice to grow. Why? Because that means new people coming in. But should that be our focus? Or should Jesus be our focus? Right? In our focusing on him, do you tell, does find, found people find people? Yeah. Do you tell somebody? Yes, you do. But we're living in some crazy days right now, folks. Do I believe there's going to be revival? I do. I absolutely believe that. But it's not because we're going to have a really cool harvest party or, you know, great whatever going on. That's not going to bring the body of Christ together. It's going to be because we collectively, boom, he becomes the focus of our life. We're worshipers of God. And in all of these other things, yes, we've got to have administration in place. We've got to do things as the best we can do. But the reality of it is, it's going to be because he's our focus. Are you following me there? Am I off? You can say I'm off. I've been off. But the reality is having the right focus puts all the other things in order. If you're battling against something in your life, you name it. It's because you're not focusing on Jesus. It's not because I need to overcome that thing. I got to overcome that thing. You 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 focus on overcoming that thing. What is it that you're thinking about constantly? Do you remember when you were first driving? This is why I'm not letting, I'm not teaching Kathleen to drive. She's scaring me. No. Remember when you're first driving and you'd say, Oh, there's a squirrel. You look over there in the car, go, anybody ever do that? You know, anytime it was like, Oh, something's over there. You're in the rumble strip. Whatever you're looking at is the direction you go. That's why, listen, that's why those of you that have been hurt in your life by, by the God figures of your life, by your parents, the only thing you can do is forgive them. You cannot thrive by, by living from a negative. I'm not going to be something. You can't, we can't. 
I'm, I'm never going to be that person. I'm never going to do what they did. You cannot become all that God wants you to do. You will become all that God's purpose you to do by looking at the greatest example that we have and then being like him. You're not going to become like him by not being what they are. Okay, but what does your flesh say? You know, what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. What happens is the abused becomes the abuser. You know, what our parents did to us. What you said you would never be. Be careful. Don't do that. Forgive that. Don't make that the focus of your life because you'll be like that new drive. You're like that one driving. All of a sudden, you, that's what you're focused on. And, and I don't care what you're trying to do. You're, you end up over the, in that ditch. What happens? Well, how do you avoid that? Listen, we'll, we'll, I'll read it again. It says, it says here, it says, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what's above. Where the Messiah is. Let that be our focus. God, how do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? What do you want for my day? If it's a fast, am I spiritually sensitive enough to say, God, you're asking me to miss a few meals? It's not saying, well, bless God, I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I'm free from all that. No, I'm telling you, living the life that we're meant to live for for us is much has much more responsibility than living some rules and regulations and aesthetic practices and and making it appear spiritual. What God wants is a constant every day to be able to speak into your life and for you to follow Him and for those issues of our life. Just to be like the scenery around us. Let me let me just continue here. So the answer is having the right focus. So it goes on in chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to this. After it just said it in, a, in just a few verses before this, this is how it goes on. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because God, of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie one to another. Since you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according uh, uh, to the image of your creator. What image are we being fashioned into? What are you looking at? The reality is, well, and some say, well, there's, you know, sin doesn't matter anymore. Really? You know, we don't have to live a life separated from this world? Really? Come on, you don't, if you have that idea, you have not, you don't have a, you don't have a relationship that's vibrant and alive with him. My relationship demands purity. My relationship demands, uh, 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 that, that I am honest. 
that I don't walk around greedy. My relationship, I'm looking at his image and it becomes the, the, the path that I walk on. It's things that, that every day when that reaches out to me, those evil desires, it's not like I'm going to focus on that. No, I'm not. I'm going to focus on him. If I focus on him, I'm going to tell you something. Those things and their, their voices become less and less. And when they do reach out on my path and trip me up, they don't suck me into the weeds and have me there for months and years at a time. It's like you shake it off. You're looking to the author and finisher of your faith. You find forgiveness and you find grace to help and you don't have to go back and say, well, what have I got to do to undo all the evil I've done? How do I repay you, God? There's no repayment. Get up. Walk. Well, I'm such a failure. Not if you put him on. What are you thinking? Jesus is a failure? If you put on Christ and he, did the scripture say he is our life? I'm going to tell you of one thing he's not. He's not a failure. He's just not. And so if I, if, if I am clothed with him, if I put him on, if I'm, if he becomes the image that I'm focusing on, I cannot fail. Well, you're awful proud. No, I can't. If I'm looking in the right direction, if I'm looking off to the side, I'm going to fail every single Time. If I am going to uh, um, uh, imitate the righteousness of God with human goodness, I'm going to fail every time. Every time. And I might, I might look good doing it. You know, I might be able to uh, uh, deceive those around us, around me, and deceive myself. Let's see. Question. Comments. Comment. Right there. Hello. And dovetailing with what Jeannie said. Um, I just want to share with you something that worked a powerful uh, work in my life. Because when you, even when you ask the question, well, then how do I stop right there? You're folk, you, you want to do it. Well, how do I? You can't, but Christ did. Because in, he addresses this in chapter 2. <clears throat> he says that uh, he erased the certificate of debt. My debt has been erased. And so my life is hidden in Christ. Uh, can Christ sin? Is there sin in Christ? I'm going a little extreme here. In my flesh there dwells no good thing, but I am not in my flesh, I am in Christ. And so, he disarmed those things. My shame was transferred to them. And he put it all to death on his cross. So, every morning when I get up, I'm realizing that there's no record of debt. I fall. I fail. My flesh is weak. It's corrupt. It was designed that way. It was designed needy. I'm pathetic. It, I need to take a shower twice a day sometimes because it's that corrupt. 
Well, just being honest with you. But he canceled my certificate of debt. That's my focus. Every time, that is where my freedom lies. That is where my liberty lies. That's where my victory lies in what he did. Now, I, what do I know? I don't have to do anything. He did it all. But my faith in what he did is what liberates me to live free from that disgrace, from that shame. I don't, ha- I don't have to do anything. Because he did it all. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That was the greatest liberating power that came to me when I finally realized that he canceled the debt. And I owe him nothing because it is good, it is his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. It's not about me. It's about him. So who here has faith? Really, I'm serious. Do you have faith? Do you know the Bible says that if we do not regard iniquity in our heart, then we have faith toward God? That's a living idea right there. That'll change your life. But we would call it a living idea. If I regard not iniquity in my heart, then I have faith towards God just because of what Ned just said. So to not regard iniquity is to not to give it any power. Even when it causes you to fall, there's so many people that lift up the iniquity and make it this huge thing when when you're lifting up Christ. Listen to this. Listen to this. Okay. And then tell me if we're going off here. If you got a question, ask it. But listen to this. It says, it says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Okay. That seems like, and it goes on to explain sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Evil desires, uh, uh, all of these things. Okay. How do we put those to death? It almost feels like we have something that we need to do other than believe God. There's something we have to do. If I'm going to put that to death, then that automatically means I got to do something. All right. So I'm going to find a way and I'm going to, you know, again, we become this powerful knight, you know, or, or, you know, warrior princess. And you're going to slay the dragon. You're going to kill the thing that, that is so evil. You're the one. And the reality of it is, and Ned almost stole my thunder because Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the, the very preceding chapter, it says, He erased the certificate of death, of debt, with its obligation that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Who did that? Okay. Let me read it again. He erased the certificate of death. How many feel like, how much do I owe? You know, there is a certificate of debt that your flesh will constantly tell you you owe. You know why? Because what Jeannie said is we want to be in control. We want to be in control. 
We want to earn this. We want to own it. We want to be the one that's responsible for it. And it just freaks us out when God says, I paid all that. There's no certificate. But if I'm going to put this stuff to death... Did you ever do? Did you ever say when you messed up, Lord, I nailed that to the cross? Mm-hmm. I put it to death there with your body. That is my only hope. Is when I fail, I have for me to put it to death. It's not like oh, I'm going to now. I'm going to overcome this thing. It's like oh, there's my freedom. You're my freedom. What do you want me to do with this mess I made? I bring it to you. Father, I don't... How many times have you prayed the prayer, God, forgive me of this. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. You go out the next week or even that day and you do it again. Father, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for this. And and you come in here, this, this, you know, just revolving door of repentance... And it's not really repentance. It's this desire for self-righteousness. And I'm not saying we were all evil. But do you understand? I want to I earn that. Well, now there is absolute power. I don't use these gifts and the freedom as an indulgence to the flesh. But there is freedom when I fail to put those things to death. And to know where to bring them. And to realize that he's erased the certificate of debt uh, with, its oblig- with its obligations. Think about that for a while. It, there's a reason that when we do listening prayer, when we've done listening prayer, how many have ever done listening prayer and had it be incredibly effective? That when... There a vision. How many of you have had the vision of you being in a wide open space? How many of you? Come on. Okay. Almost everybody. Most because it's it's scary. How f- much freedom there is. It's like what? Wait a minute. There's no constraint. There's no confinement. We we think in our own mind that God's put us into this. You know, we're, we're, we're boxed in. Not spiritually. It's like. You know, it's like what? Why I can see both. I can see everywhere. It's like there is, there's nothing holding me back. Any direction I go, God, you're there. Why? Because there's freedom, and that freedom. Some people freak out and say, "There's too much freedom." Do you realize there are there are literally people that have been incarcerated that when they get out, they can't function. Because there's too much freedom. And so they'll do whatever they have to do to get back into a place of confinement. And I'm afraid that, that we have been sold a bill of goods, some of us, that we don't understand what it is to live free in Christ and therefore we're constantly seeking a place where, where it's controlled. Honestly, follow me. Well, what about, you know, and what about people that are going to be carnal? They're going to be carnal. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about people that love God, that make Him the focus. So, um, 
let me finish it with this, unless we have a question or a comment. It's all good? Is this scary? Come on, it's not scary. Come on, be up here. It, it is totally, I'm telling you, it is totally intimidating. Completely intimidating. I think I just figured out, or God just showed me why it's not intimidating. Um, someone said, I don't know if Pastor said it or if Jeannie said it, but use the word o- obedience, okay? And how many people like to obey? Okay. God just showed me because he works on me through etymology, right? Or the, the, what words mean, how they're set up, what they mean. When I hear obey or obedience, I don't like it. Something in me, maybe as an American, as a male, whatever, I don't know. And I just looked it up and it showed me a couple things. The, what OB means as a prefix and what obedience means. And it means, maybe you can help me with the French, but it's ob, uh, audier or hear in French. It means to hear. How many people can hear? If I'm obeying God, I'm hearing God, can you obey? Can I obey? He just showed me that, okay? And something that he showed me in that just took me to, sorry, just one second. Come on, phone. Praise God. Phone. Um, James 7. You probably guys probably know this, but it's a process. I'm sorry, James 4, 7. James 4, verse 7. Um, yeah, see, it's, I'm outside the Bible. Um, Everything with God is, is a process. And I remember the scripture as you started to, to speak, and I thought it was a three-step process, but I skipped two steps. So therefore, submit to God. What does submission mean? Ooh, submission's not good. Get on the mission. Come under a greater thing than you. Know that you're not the big deal and come under, come under God's mission, which is greater. That's submit. It's not a bad word. Therefore, submit to God, number one, but resist the devil, Number two, how long did either one of those steps take? I don't know. Maybe some step for something I'm going through in my life takes a year, takes five minutes. I don't know. But like Jeannie said, do we have the patience to go through these steps? Submit to God, but resist the devil. Step two, he will flee from you. How many times do I resist him? He's not gone. He's still hanging out. He's still speaking that old word in my brain. And even after I think he's left, I'm still agreeing with that thing. Okay, so did I resist him? Talk about the self-indulgence. That's resistance. I resist the devil. Draw near to God for, and he will draw near to you. At least a five-step process, but it's focusing on Jesus. And all that I'm telling you, because as I'm about to come up here, you know, I'm thinking, you don't have this, and I don't know this. I don't know this in my heart. I'm asking you guys to remind me. I'm hoping that you get freed from the word of obedience like I just did. I can hear God. And it's maybe at least a five-step process for certain things I have to go through in my life, but I have to have the patience to do it. And I don't know how to do that right now, but I'm moving toward that. So just want to encourage you in that. Amen. I like that obedience. Our French teacher, is that, is that hearing? <laughs> hey, don't just agree with him. No, <laughs> no that's awesome. I, I love the idea. It, it's listening and, again, following, drawing near to God and what happens. That is the, folks, that is the answer to everything. And it really is the answer to our lives, is drawing near to God. What happens? He draws near to us. But if you are in this idea of, of, of owning or, or, or wanting to be good enough and all of the, these aesthetic practices, 
It, it just, you never, you end up in your heart of hearts, even even the man who was so overindulgent with food, which gluttony is sin, just as much as adultery is sin, right? Just as much as greed or, or, or lying or, or discord, whatever it is. So uh, in in his heart of hearts, because he knows our spirit, we know we're guilty, it still prevents us from drawing near to God, even though we feel like we're so good in so many other areas. So it prevents us from having him draw near to us because we're, we're not drawing near to him. But when you realize he's already nailed it to the cross, he's already the obligation, and all of it is done, he, he's canceled it, then what stops me right now from drawing near to him? Well, you owe me this. You owe... I, I, I can draw near to him. I have absolute access. I can boldly approach the throne of grace any time, any time, any time. Why? Because of what he's already done. So, here's here's how we'll close it in the next three minutes. He's erased that. All right. Listen to this. It says, and this is closing out chapter number three. Okay. And I pray that you go back and read it again. I really do it. It's, it's, I mean, it will not take you 10 minutes to read the first three chapters. It won't take you 10 minutes. But read it without chapter and verse. Read it as one thought. He goes, therefore, God's chosen ones. That's pretty cool. How many believe you've been chosen by God? Honestly, I have, I'm telling you, whether you like it or not, I've been chosen. I've been chosen by God. Okay, and I know that. He says, okay, therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. All right, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility. Same thing. If you focus on, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be kind. No, put on who? Christ. Guess what? He is compassionate, filled with kindness, everything that's in here, that's who he is when we pursue him rather than one particular, you know, there are people out there that are compassionate that don't know Jesus. Yes or no? There are people out there that are kind that don't know Jesus. And we can be drawn away thinking, well, there it is. They don't know Jesus and they're, you know, I won't say it, but there's people, there's celebrities out there that that have changed our culture because they're funny and they're kind. They give, but yet it's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a godlikeness, but it's not him. All right, so it says, I got three minutes. Uh, ex- uh, patience, accepting one another, forgiving one another. If there's any complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. You notice the must in there? <laughs> you have, we have to. Why? Because we've been forgiven. That, 
I don't have enough time. But above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That is an incredible mouthful. But living with a thankful heart, living with absolute forgiveness, if there is a reason that keeps you from, if there's any roadblock in your life, it's not the sin that's in your life, it's the unforgiveness that's there. It'll stop you. You've got to let people go so that you can be left, that you can be free. If there's anything that stops you from focusing on Him, if you're grumbling and complaining about your life, come on, man. I know I don't have it perfect, and you may think I got it better than you, but I promise you I don't. You got your life, I got mine. We do it without grumbling and complaining, and that is having a very thankful heart. God, what is it today? I can thank you. Yeah, but I don't have this and I don't have one. I'll always not have something. There's something that's not going to be right. But I'm telling you, there's a whole lot in my life that's amazing. And it's because of the cross. It's because he's canceled out the certificate of debt. I don't owe it. And because of that, I have freedom. And I can, all of these things. I can admonish and teach and sing and, and have spiritual songs and have gratitude in my heart and, and I can give glory to God. Amen. There it is. Chapter number three. I'm telling you, you get that part of it, that's rich. That is rich. It draws you near to him. It keeps you from having to look at somebody else and say, well, they're not there. Well, hi, you leave them alone. What's that to you? He told John. Or he, he told Peter, you know, what's that to you? Follow me. You follow me. Yeah, but what about this one? What is that to you? Follow me. How many want to follow? Amen. Father, I speak your blessing, uh, your goodness, your word in our lives. Help us to understand these deep and simple spiritual truths that will draw us near to you. God, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. I speak your blessing in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you.